this is Queen Victoria. Welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I dissect serial killers and analyze what I find. Welcome, lab rats. Today we have Igor in the dungeon lab place, and we are going to discuss Amityville. We will talk about the Ronald DeFeo Jr. killings and the supposed haunting and what we think about that. We'll cover it all. So thank you, Igor, for suggesting this and all of your other things. Did you enjoy your time off? Uh, Well, you know, doing my grad school, like I posted on my Facebook page, the Monster Making uh, 201 graduate course has been intensive. So I'm wrapping up my final project. So I don't know if I've enjoyed it. I've been real busy. (laughs) Uh, Started another grad course, but then I'm going to take some time off beginning of the year so I can concentrate on just the fish heads and research that yes. I've been doing. Yes. And especially uh, they had to have the finals or the, you know, the big project dupe around Halloween. Yep. You know, of course. They did. And I would like to say some kind of monster mash joke, but I can't think of one. So insert monster mash grad school joke here. Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. I worked on that one for a while. I guess. Okay, so I'll let you just go ahead and take over, and uh, we're going to let Igor run the episode, and I'll just interject things here and there. This actually came about months ago. I initially done research, like, I don't know, maybe six months at this point, probably. We were looking at doing a crossover with a different podcast, and it fell through, but I really liked this idea of taking a look at the whole Amityville, both sides of it, I guess, the controversies about the house is it haunted the crime itself with Ronald DeFeo and kind of looking at that and getting some feedback on what you know you feel what people feel about that because it hasn't gone away in my lifetime of course it happened in my lifetime so uh, what do you know or what what research have you done here V about the Amityville Well, I have, I read the book a while ago, I mean, like years ago, and of course I've watched most of the movies, but the funny thing is, is I knew that it was based on a true story and it opens with, you know, a guy killing his family, but I guess I never, for some reason, it didn't latch into my brain until later that that was based on like the part that was based on one of the parts that was based on was the murders. And then it was Ronald DeFeo that was blamed, you know, and so it didn't really enter the forefront for me until a little while ago. Um, And so then I was like, well, shit, I didn't. And what's interesting is in my uh, research for serial killers, it's funny because in some books he shows up as a serial killer and in others he doesn't. So it's interesting to see that some people consider him a serial killer and other people don't consider him a serial killer. So, you know, that's, um, and that's another reason why I was intrigued by us doing this is because I hadn't really delved a whole lot into it. So what I did is instead of reading 5,000 books like I normally would, I decided to watch some documentaries. And so I watched um, My Amityville Horror, which they interview Daniel Lutz as an adult, and he goes through his experience with the Amityville Horror and things. And they do mm-hmm. delve into the DeFeo thing a little bit, but obviously they, they talk more about his experience with the alleged hauntings. Then I watched an interview with Ronnie DeFeo, which happened like 30, um, yeah, the interview was like 30 years after the thing mm-hmm. happened. And so he, you know, to tell his story of what truly happened, you know, mm-hmm. so I watched that. And then I watched 
I started, I found this generically titled Amityville documentary, which it turns out the actual title when it started to play was Shattered Hopes, the true story of the Amityville murders. So I got through, they're like, so part one, it's like two, two and a half hours long. And then I got to part two and it was like two, two and a half hours long. And it was just getting to be where it was just a lot. And I mean, so really, since it was such a long thing, they delved into a whole bunch of stuff. So I'll tell you real fast, the uh, My Amityville Horror with Daniel Lutz. Mm-hmm. What cracked me up about that one is so they show him and he's talking and then they show him like you hear this guitar playing and you just think it's like maybe part of the soundtrack, but it's actually him playing guitar. So they actually show him like shredding it on guitar and then they'll talk to him, go to him talking. Oh. And, and it's one of those things where it just felt douchey. And I think it's because this isn't about him playing guitar. This is about the haunting. But I understand that what they were trying to do is make you connect with him and you can see that he's a regular person and he's playing guitar and he's- Or that he's a douchebag. Or that he's a douchebag. Showcasing <laughs> the douchebagness. And let me go back to something you said a minute ago. You said something about it was a long thing. You usually like those. But anyway. <laughs> hey You said this was all on YouTube, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, I just put in like Amityville documentary, I think is like what I put in. Yeah. So my Amityville horror was, it was interesting because it's all from his perspective Mm -hmm. and it shows him talking to different shrinks and, um, therapists. Sorry. I don't know if that's not PC therapists, whatever it's our podcast and, and, um, and we can say that because we both go to shrinks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, and, it, it, and of course they interview, what's also interesting is seeing who pops up in the different documentaries because you have the, there's a reporter, this woman, I can't, I should have written down names, but I didn't. Uh, but there's one reporter woman that was very close, that was closely involved with everything. She's in uh, several of them and she's interviewed, you know, so you see some recurring, recurring characters. And then in the, the Shattered Hopes, it's one of those things where I admire that they're trying to make it interesting and they're trying to be like really in depth, but they could have cut it down by not having the reenactments because the reenactments, like he had on this terrible beard, the guy who's supposed oh, to be Ronald DeFeo. But see, that's what's amazing about it. That's yeah. what makes me laugh. Well, that's true. That's it. true. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It's because there was a scene where they're talking about how they think that um, the grandpa Let's's wait. I'm seeing I get let's now I get let's and DeFeo. I get them. So, I start getting them confused. So the grandfather, the DeFeo grandfather, the DeFeo grandfather, okay. you know, who owned this dealership, right? Mm-hmm. They said that he they thought he started laundering money mm-hmm. and that um, it was him or Ron Sr. Someone's embezzling money. And so they say, and they think you started embezzling money, and they show the reenactor sitting there like with a, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and you know he's like typing on the calculator pad thing and that's what you, do. you know and he's laughing maniacally <laughs> i'm like i'm sure that's See, exactly how he would embezzle I mean, money that's how i've got to have like, it and ah. have you, did you ever watch the haunting the haunted or a haunting i don't i don't know those tv series anyway what i love about those is it's kind of creepy overall the story but then the reenactments the demons are always blue and have awesome abs like they have the best gym program in hell (laughs) that's what I love about it but yes okay and I also like how you said the reporter woman so anyway yeah and um well then there's one I specifically wrote this down is the guy playing um the dad Ronald DeFeo Mm -hmm. is he's yelling at his daughter Dawn and he's like okay miss bitch (laughs) 
Like who the that fuck is, right? yes. Like just the, the commit being committed to that whole, um, yeah. So, so honestly it was, it did make it interesting to okay, me. I kind of wanted to, okay, miss bitch. Is that from the Bible? I think, mm, um, no, I think it's, it's mm. Star Trek. That's usually a quote. If, you, if it's not Shakespeare nice. or the Bible, yeah. it's Star Trek, but it was entertaining. I kind of, like I said, because I wanted to know like the details. I didn't feel like sitting through anyway. So I didn't watch right. the full thing. Okay. But so I do have some, cause they really delve into the whole mafia thing in that one. Yes. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that, and that is, was I, something that was new to me. Did you that I hadn't really had a con- heard a connection of. Had you heard that before? I think that I had heard something like they thought the mafia could be involved. And that's one of I the didn't things know exactly that, right. And that's one of those confessions that we'll get into yeah. that. So. Okay, yeah. So that's basically what I know is what I ran into in these documentaries. So what I'll do is just as you talk, I'll just interject something from the documentary if it applies. Sounds like a plan. So if we go into the summary, basically what everybody should know if you're any good crime keeper kind of a lab rat, but I will forgive you if you're not and give you the summary. It was November 13th of 1974, and it was approximately 6.30 p.m. when Ron Jr., Ronnie slash asshole, walks into a bar. This isn't the beginning of a joke. Yeah, I was about to say. And A blue demon with abs walks into a bar with Ronnie DeFeo. There was a woman reporter. And ask, ask people there, the bar patrons, for help uh, for his parents as he says he found them shot. Some patrons left with him and, of course, ended up finding the entire family deceased. They found Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, Louise DeFeo, also 43, and Ron Jr.'s four siblings, Don, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, with a C, 12, and John Matthew. And I don't have an age for him, so I apologize. All the victims had been shot with a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336C rifle around three o'clock in the morning of that day. The parents had been both uh, had been shot twice, while the children had all been killed with single shots. The evidence suggested that Louise DeFeo and her daughter Allison were both awake at the time of their deaths, and all the uh, family members were found face down in their beds. So that's the beginning. Ron initially, I titled this section Ron's Confessions, quote unquote. Initially, he said that mob hitmen, i.e. Louis Fellini, had uh, done the uh, hit job because of his father's involvement with the mob. And I guess there's this whole thing. And, and knowing that you know about the mob ties will help me because I can't remember if, I think it was his uncle Ronald Jr.'s uncle, his father's brother, obviously, father's brother's Dennis Hitman, but that was supposedly involved with the uh, a crime family. That's a whole thing that he was counting on. Do you know more about that or who it was that was involved in it? Well, um, I don't remember the specific. I do know that they said um, that the dealership probably had ties with the mafia and that they even said that uh let me look at my notes real fast because they said that the the i think the wife even had ties to her uh, yeah it was her side of the family i think it was so it was like Um, they they alluded that there was actually mob ties on both sides of the family um mm. i'm trying to find exactly uh because he didn't want to because um moving on a little bit he did he 
he did come out and say that then his it was his sister who did it. Well, and he sorry, covered let me... him up, and then it was the mom who did it. But he was afraid to not take the blame as to upset his grandfather, her dad. Right. So um, they did in in the documentaries they did say that like he actually had a really good relationship with his grandpa. One of the things that he had said is that, oh my God, it's like gets into this whole thing where he says he went, he talked to somebody in the mafia and called him a cocksucker that Ron did. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And so that's why there would be a hit on the family is because you don't disrespect the mafia like that. There was also stuff in there where Ron was, he was a big dickhead, like he was abusive. And so there's- this is um, Ronald DeFeo Sr. Yes. And, and Big Ron was his rap name. Go ahead. Right. And Big Daddy, Big Daddy Ron. Um, nice. But so he actually, so he was planning on, supposedly he cut Lil Ron Butch DeFeo. He cut his break line, but he survived. So mm-hmm. then uh, when Butch tells the grandpa, hey, you know, he's trying to kill me. Then he's like, well, you know what to do. You need to kill him. So supposedly there's like this whole subtext of people wanting to kill people. And then there's also like, okay, well, maybe the mafia wanted to kill him for calling somebody a cocksucker. So there's, they, it's kind of like they planted the seeds for a whole bunch of different scenarios. Right. But, and from what I saw was the, the, this Louis Fellini, who I guess it's a pseudonym because they didn't want to hmm. name the person. I will tell you, they said it was, um, Tommy Mateo because in the documentary they said they called him they first started calling him Mr. Lee but then by the time the documentary was like almost finished then legally they were allowed to say Tony Mateo because they call him also Mr. Mazeo so I think it's actually supposed to to be Mariah Carey or wait that was Tony Matola never mind (laughs) no but that would make a good, good an interesting story nice so um so yeah we had that whole mob thing which I wasn't aware of but Ron, that was his first confession when they brought him in, is he told the cops, yeah, it was this uh, mob hitman, Louis Fellini, and whatever, Tony Matola, Mariah Carey's ex-husband, and he actually had an alibi, so they ruled him out. So the next day, oh, Ronnie Badani says that he did it and admitted that he had taken a bath and redressed after the events and detailed where he had discarded crucial evidence, such as the blood-stained clothes and the Marlin rifle and cartridges before going to work. Because, you know, work was such a high priority for him. It wasn't. I'm being facetious. Mm-hmm. Then, he says, like I mentioned previously, his sister Dawn had done it. Then, he said their mother had done it, but he took the blame to avoid the retaliation from his grandfather. Already, within the first couple days, he's saying this, saying that I did it, I didn't do it, then this is my favorite one. And I found this on horrorobsessive.com. And I read that on Sundays. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Ron, Ronnie, what what are we going to give? Uh, Let's call the, him Butch, because Ron. that's what he... Butch. Uh, oh, not as Ronald DeFeo Jr. was also Robert? known as Butch. Okay, we'll call him Butch, because that's what he's known by. Ron said that a female demonic figure with black hands handed him the gun that he heard voices and was possessed. Now, as we move into things, and you probably saw it too, if you've heard his interview, that he says that he was kind of, he felt like he was forced into saying those kind of things to, by his attorney, 
so that way he could claim insanity. Is that what you understood? Yes. Yeah, they did. Um, they did bring that up and talked about that at length in the one documentary is that he wanted that the defense was like, really, all you can do is play insane. When he's on trial and he's talking, they were like, that they interviewed one of the jurors and jurors were like, I don't even know. Like, I couldn't keep up. He kept changing the story. Yeah. And when they mentioned it to Butch, Butch was like, well, yeah, I did that because I wanted to look crazy. You, you don't look crazy if you're coherent and you may have the same story. And you have he's to change excellent it. at it. His whole yes. life he did that. Yeah. That's the funny part is that he kept blaming his attorney, but he did that throughout his entire life. He did that before the attorney even showed up. I mean, the day that he, like you said, is first he said, oh, Don did it. Uh, the uh, mafia man did it. My mom did it. Just yeah, right, all over the place. And then he blamed his drug. And it's like, I was smoking pot down the basement. Listen, Whoa. pot makes you love Funyuns and Munchos. It does not make you see a demonic, demonic black-handed woman handing you a weapon well, that sounds like a fish. Well, you know, what's crazy is I didn't hear the pot smoking part. I heard that he had been on heroin and that he'd been doing heroin the whole week before and drinking heavily. At this point, he just was saying pot. Oh. He was saying a lot of like a fifth of scotch every 10 yes, minutes. Yes, the fifth of scotch I heard. Yeah. A lot of alcohol and pot, but that's what he was willing at that point to do uh-huh. because it does, there is a lot of cooperation with it about his LSD and history with heroin addiction. Hmm. So there was more than that, but obviously this guy was just. Well, you know, what's crazy is this is another thing that, as you know, from any kind of research into anything, you're going to hear all kinds of conflicting things because he said I was on heroin. I was drinking a fifth of scotch every day. So I was pretty fucked up. So I was very vulnerable and I was very volatile. And then someone made a point in one of the documentaries to say we looked at his arms and he had no track marks like Mm. he was not. We don't think that he was on like hard drugs. So I don't know, because you, you can smoke heroin, right? You don't have to shoot it up. I think that's called something else. I'll have to oh, ask yeah, the that's, kids. Um, yeah, I'm not really up on my drug stuff. But yeah, so I'm I mean. Look it up right now. Let's yeah, see. It's, um, Ways to ingest heroin. Because I guess then you you smoke crack and. This was um, in the 70s. So well, yeah, so I don't know. And because I also, I do know things like you can also inject it between your toes. I know that. So like just because he didn't have track marks on his arm, he could have been doing it someplace else. Or they could have been lying or he was lying because he's been known to be a Mr. Liar Pants. But that, I just thought that was interesting that they specifically mentioned he didn't have any track marks and he didn't seem to be like he was on drugs. But like his friends would say, yeah, he was, he was drinking. He was doing stuff. So you can snort it. Okay. Uh, they usually, it says heroin users typically inject the drug using syringe, but it's also smoked and snorted. So that's right. It's kind of like cocaine, I guess. Listen, I don't know. Sure. We, yeah. Two girls who don't use drugs are trying but to I explain like, drugs to people. But, uh, um, <laughs> but I do like this, this title of this article as I was looking at this up real quick. Toots, tastes, and tester shots. User counts of drug sampling. Hey. So that's worth a read. Go to the harm reduction journal if you'd like to learn more about that all right the next thing i have is in the year 2000 so a little more recent rick osuna claimed to have met with ron and spoken to him for about six hours which resulted in his book being released 2002 called the night the defeos died um doesn't you know doesn't bury the lead or anything ron however denies the collaboration with this author he says that he pretty much left he didn't, he didn't contribute anything, and um, but Osana says Ron told him he had Don and two other accomplices. Now, here we go with other ones. Mm-hmm. Now we're up to four. 
uh, murdered his family because he felt his family was plotting to kill him. And maybe that goes back to the whole C word. I hate saying the word cocksucker. So I'm oh, not going to say cocksucker. Well, um, they actually do. They, they, in the, one of the documentaries, they show that Don is all worked up and there's, there are two people in, in this reenactment where at this point they're saying, okay, so there were two people there, Don and Butch. Well, Don's all worked up and it's like, we have to kill them. And they're kind of like, no, no, no. Well, Don starts heading up the stairs where they stop because they hear the parents fighting and they overhear the dad supposedly planning to kill Butch. And so, so that was, supposedly that was, that was, was one of their things that they overheard the dad planning to kill the son. Then um, also uh, my mind just left and you were talking and I had something to add. What the hell were you just talking about? I was talking about um, the Rick Osuna, the um, author of the book, The Night mm. the DeFeos Died. Yes. So he was on that, that big ass long three part documentary. He's on mm -hmm. there. Actually, I think he might be on a couple of the others, but that's when he really gets into. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that he was like an independent researcher or something like he just started researching the histories. So as he's looking into it, he was talking to his story. He was talking to Butch. Butch was telling him things. Well, then he also was talking to um, George Lutz, I think. Mm -hmm. So he was also talking to George Lutz. And he's like, there was a moment when he realized George basically was like, well, I don't care about the truth. I'm in, in it for the money. And obviously this writer felt that he was in it for the truth. So he's like, I cut off all ties with George because mm -hmm. I didn't want to do it. And then Ron, then Butch was, you know, I think, I don't remember, I think, I don't know if he bucked away from Butch or Butch backed away from him, but he got to the point where basically he was on his own. Like it, mm. no one else was really telling him the truth or really helping him to learn the truth. So I believe that is accurate that they did. I think they were working together for a time but then they did part ways mm -hmm. and then he kind of just went on his own to try to find out the truth to, for the book and you'd have to uh, read that book to find out if he got it I didn't look at it more than this yet about this whole according to uh me m-e-a-w-w.com meow meow um psychiatrist that testified at the trial said that Ronnie had a dissociative disorder that would cause him to view events as an outsider. Mm. So that's how it could be explained that he was saying he was possessed. And the, you know, prosecution, of course, said that he was unstable, blah, blah, blah. The psychiatrist said, you, that's just what happens when you have this episode of your, you know, dissociative disorder. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and it's it's funny because the in the interview with um, Butch, is <laughs> the interviewer makes a comment about well if you have a disassociated per personality, and <laughs> Butch just kind of looks at him and is like, well, I may have had it back then, but I don't anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It goes away. It goes away. Put an ointment on. Yeah, and and he makes a point to say that 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 Butch will float by several theories, and it's like he's trying to see what's going to land with whoever. So he'll throw different scenarios out trying to see, and he seems empathetic. You know, he seems like he's, you know, and of course that's the key if you're going to be a compulsive liar is to sound convincing about your lies. Even if you, you can say completely opposite things, but sound convinced. And it does make it harder on the person, especially if the person's trying to be empathetic to you. You know, and even if they're not, it's if you're sticking to your lie, it does make it seem, you know, and more convincing. 
it reminds me, are you familiar with the Wayne Williams case? Did you listen to that Atlanta monster podcast or anything? Oh, no, I didn't. So look it up. Wayne, Wayne Williams is the Atlanta. He was convicted yeah. of being the Atlanta child murderer. However, he was only convicted of <laughs> the adult murders, right. not the children's. So anyway, so they were investigating that part of it. And, and they would talk to him many times, many hours on the podcast I listened to. And I watched something as well, I think on Netflix. And he is his worst he does himself no favors. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. He is a showman. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. You can't land on anything. So again, going back to the empathy, it's hard when someone's like, look, I really am open to you of being railroaded. You've taken the fall for this. And then he's like back and forth, back and mm. forth. And then they show footage of him in the seventies and he's not changed. So it kind of reminds uh. me of Ronald DeFeo. Now this guy didn't say anything outlandish as far as you know, possession or anything. He just, he's tries to put himself more of like a producer, a mentor for, you know, that for singers and up and coming artists, you know? So, uh, but I just find, found that interesting because that's, he's the first person I thought of when I was like, this dude's all over the place. He's not helping himself at all. You know, mm. now if we go on to the book, the Amityville Horror, give you a little background on that those lab raddies that don't know or need refreshed that the Amityville horror book is by Jay Anson it was published in 1977 and there were a lot of lawsuits and accusations of this book being a money grab and I think you've alluded to that so the 112 Ocean Avenue was the site of the slayings on Long Island and Ron DeFeo was junior Ronald DeFeo Butchie was sentenced to six terms of 25 life sentences. He died in prison March 2021. So still, he was an asshole, even when he died. And in December 1975, the Lutzes, what is it, Catherine, Kathy and George Lutz? Yeah. They moved in to the home and then were out 28 days later. And they had children, they had like, what, three kids between them? Yeah, something like that. There was, yeah. I've got it right here in my notes. Thank you. Hey, there you go. Daniel nine, Christopher seven, and Melissa. So Danny, Daniel is who Vicky alluded to earlier. And the DeFeo furniture was in the home as part of the deal. So the mm-hmm. Lutzes got this amazing house for hardly next to nothing. It was like eighty thousand dollars furniture, but oh my God, there was murder. Mm-hmm. And so. they knew about it. They did the whole family yeah. knew about it. They talked and they, about it. And they negotiated they to keep okay the furniture. Oh. Mm-hmm. So uh, they moved to Kathy mom's, Kathy's mother's home and told them at this, you know, at the 28th day and told her that this entity had even followed them there to her home. They were introduced to Jay Anson by an editor at Prentice Hall and they did not work directly with him but he based his writings on the 45 hours of tape recordings of what they said happened. Estimates have the total sales at 10 million for his book. Wow. Anson is said to have based the title of The Amityville Horror on The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft, which was published in 1929. I thought that was a bit interesting kind of a mm-hmm. um, alignment. Any comments on the basis of that? We're going to get into the con- criticism and controversy on the book. Um, yeah, there's a, it's one of those things where when you talk about 
the the haunting there's some people who say okay um so they bought this house for 80,000 but they didn't have like a ton of money to begin with you know mm-hmm. so they bought this house for this money and some people were like well maybe they just ran out of money like they didn't have the money anymore so they decided if we make up this story we could make a lot of money and you know yada yada well someone made the point how could they lose all their money in 28 days like mm-hmm. why would it my argument is if you go into it broke then, right you know and if you go into a house knowing there's murders i can see where in certain circumstances maybe they could decide to do this or it could be a combination because one of the things is is that when they the um okay so i think that they were talking about some of it so i think some of it had come out and they were trying to keep it quiet supposedly mm-hmm. but then ronald defeo's lawyer happened to talk to them because he saw a common interest and so he starts talking to them and supposedly they're drinking bottles of wine yeah i'm gonna get into yeah, that and i'm yeah. sure that you will so they're drinking mm-hmm. bottles of wine and supposedly during that conversation he would say oh well you know um the defeos said this and they did this and like oh you know what now that you think about it we had that happen yeah you know and and it was like they kind of took the ball and ran with it like he was feeding them things and mm-hmm. you know and supposedly he in an interview later the lawyer said i'm not proud of it and it was recorded yeah i'm not proud of it but but yeah we did kind of plan this and mm-hmm. they were totally running with it they were on board and um and then maybe what happened is after that they sobered up and they were kind of like uh now Going back to the interview that you saw with Danny. Now, I have heard over the years that Danny has mentioned that or um, that George did a lot of, like, I don't want to say satanic. We'll just say more spiritualistic, if you want to say. With, oh, no, like, he said a Ouija satanic. Board. He was? He did. Yeah, he, okay. well, that's what, so Danny, this is the thing, is where it is hard to know how much to believe because so he was how old did you say he was he was like um seven or something or eight right he's really young and so he's pretty young and you're very impressionable one they have a a psychiatrist that mentions like you know sometimes when you have things happening and you're small and even as you're growing up people mention things to you and then maybe you're like oh wait maybe that did happen like if you're impressionable Mm -hmm. especially because just think you grew up and your family is under fire because they say there was this big haunting that happened. It's a big fucking deal if you don't go along with it, mm-hmm. you know. Plus, there was a lot, a lot of tension between him and George because George was a stepdad. Yeah. And George was apparently an abusive asshole. And um, I think, I'm pretty sure he even, um, he was abusive to all of them, but sp- specifically mm-hmm. Danny. He targeted mm-hmm. Danny. So apparently him and Danny had this thing and Danny would talk about how, he literally says he tried to kill George 50 times. And wow. yeah, and so there's this whole where he says this whole thing where he goes through and he gives you those things like, oh yeah, the minister came and there were flies all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's not really anybody else that can corroborate that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's hard to know how much Danny's mind filled in because he needed that to be a thing. And how much he thought really happened. But I mean, he said things like, which if you're going to get into this, I apologize if I'm stepping your toes. But like, this is the whole point. I'll yell at you later. Okay. Um, So what's interesting is you hear people say things like, well, the Lutzes weren't seeking publicity. Like that that writer that I mentioned earlier, the journalist, 
Mm-hmm. She got involved with them because they didn't want publicity. They were like, we just want to tell you our story. But then there was um, another couple that was supposed to come in and take a look at the house. And like, they were like parapsychologists. Mm-hmm. And he would, so George would say one thing to them, like, we don't put one publicity. But then the next morning he was on TV t- giving an interview. Right. And so it was like, well, and then like, you know, it would say, oh, George didn't want that attention. Well, Danny claims that George was proud of it. And he called himself like, he was like, he's the Amity guy, like the Amityville guy, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and that, so you hear these conflicting, like, oh, they didn't want the public publicity, but then they would actively seek publicity. I don't know. He said that like the entire family saw the garage door opening and closing by themselves, by itself, uh-huh. that his whole family saw. But again, you've got three children like under the age of 10 mm-hmm. so how much can you you know how much can you trust what right claim that his fingers were smashed in a window hmm. and they were right I'm, yeah and so now he's got one pinky that's a little bent up and he's like that's the only one that didn't go back normal so when you know and they're like it was flat it was flat we were going to take him to the hospital but then it magically got better and then hmm. in one interview, they said, well, when his windows were smashed by the window, when his fingers were smashed by the window, did you take him to the hospital? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we took him to the hospital. What hospital did you take him to? Oh, well, you know, what? we didn't actually end up taking him. Right. So and it's like, like there's not, there's some consistency, but not. And when you're lean, like you said, in, in people's memories are notoriously bad that we've seen proven time and again in trials and with witness testimony and things of that nature. And also when you add the trauma onto it, like you were mentioning, right. it's very unreliable. And, and someone could have PTSD. I mean, you don't have to have like a non-paranormal situation or, you know what I mean? Right, it, just it from just, a negative family experience in general. Right. And let's say those and, things and weren't happening, but. And some uh, things that I was reading is that, you know, it, you don't know if that is the family experience and that's an analogy that you grabbed onto. Mm. or you know what I mean and and that's that's a great way to um express what your life was yeah and he also um mentioned the memory thing is he's talking to this therapist and it's the first time they've met and he said that they had purposely tried to keep the kids from being interviewed since they were just kids they didn't want to put the kids through Mm -hmm. that and he says I wish they would have asked me and she's like oh really what would you have said he's like well I would have recounted everything while it was fresh on my mind and she's like, hmm, so are you saying that you don't think it's fresh on your mind anymore? Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Yeah, but see, that's exactly just... what you're saying is it's because you, it, and it's understandable. When something right. happens, as soon as it happens, it's best to get everything out then because it might get colored and tainted. And as you get and, older, and after 30 fucking years. Yep. You and know? also there's just the loyalties and fear and just the regular family and um, right. dynamics and psychology and, and all that that comes into play. I think about the Powells and you know how Susan Powell, she and, and that whole situation with her with her husband and ended up killing their children and most likely murdered her and they haven't found her body yet. Um, that whole type of scenario where the father, Powell Sr., the real sicko who had an obsession with mm-hmm. Susan, they, you know, his other children, there's a couple of them or one daughter exclusively that I saw interviewed that is staunchly 
blaming the victim, Susan, saying, oh, she was flirty. It wasn't my dad. And mm. you look at that and she, you know what I mean? And it's like, right. It's because she needs you, to, there's that trauma. And, and I still yeah. think she's a bit of a wacko, mm. but there's a lot more to it than that. And you sure. have to give that credence, but at the same time say, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. You know? well, and, and I just realized I didn't completely answer your question. So I was getting to, you asked if George was involved in the occult. Well, right. Cause that's what I believe Danny had said. Yeah. Yes. So some people said that George and his wife specifically said, we don't know of the occult or believe in it. And I think the neighbor even said like, oh, they never did anything like that. Well, of course, Danny claims he went into George's office and saw these books on the occult and Satan worship and, and that, oh, he even said he saw George lift something with his mind. He saw George use telekinesis. Like the, like return of the Jedi. Because yes. that was about the time frame it was out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he said that he saw that. And so again, it's, I wonder, yeah, it seemed to me like if the only person that says that George was a Satan worshiper was the one that was getting abused by George, mm. you know, yeah. it seems mm-hmm. like. It's all just know. so sad. Yeah. And I'm not negating that. Um, yeah. Both sides, you know what I mean? The Lutz is that, that situation, especially with the kids. And I'm not, I don't know the dynamic with Kathy and George, obviously, you know, they divorce and, and right. everything. Um, I don't know, I think a few years after, but so I'm, I see there's such deep darkness, I guess, and both cases with the DeFeos and with the Lutzes, which gives rise to people saying about the hauntings. And right. But right. I also thought of this just because um, one of the things I'll talk about here in a second is the family, the family that moved in after, and it's been sold like three times since mm-hmm. then. And none of the families have purported to have experienced anything. Right. I right. say to that, being a purveyor of a lot of different podcasts and ghost story and all this kind of stuff. I say it also depends on who you are and how open you are hmm. and where you are. You know what I mean? Because maybe those other families were fine, were, you know, were close and well-adjusted or didn't, you know what I mean? And the, the Lutzes could have. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think they're full of it? We'll get into that. But you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that alone doesn't jive with me to just say, you know, it, nobody else had that experience. Well, for me, I'm not as open as you are to these things. So to me, I think it does say something, but I do get, because I do try to be open-minded. So even though my general reaction is, well, none of the other families experience it. So what the fuck? But if, if it is a thing, then I can understand the, the family dynamics are crazy. Like it it Mm -hmm. is interesting that you have the DeFeo family where the father was abusive to the main son, to the oldest son. Mm -hmm. And then you've got in the Lutzes, he's abusive to the oldest son so it's interesting you have that echo yeah and it's also like there's several kids that are younger you know and mm. you have that so in a way I guess if it is going to be a thing I can kind of understand if it's not going to manifest for some families it's because like you said they don't have that dynamic but this family just happened to have that same kind of dynamic so I guess yeah. I can see and because he was George was already supposedly beating Danny with a spoon before they even moved into the house it just upped when they moved in so it could be if if that is a thing again mm-hmm. that if he are they're already going in 
and they're sensitive to that stuff, then that just amped up everything. If that's the only thing is, see, and then the problem with this is that when you have time and you have all this information, it's easy to, as time goes on, to start making connections. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard to know, am I just making connections that aren't there? Like this seems valid because they also said like, when they talked about the pig, the, the, yes, the little Jody. girl saw the, mm-hmm. saw the big pig named Jody. Well, someone said, and I wish I would have written it specifically. There was a connection with the DeFeos where a neighbor had a pig named Jody or something. Hmm. So, but again, it, I don't know how much is also people making things up to fill in blanks because. And, and also, also they, want attention. And that's all this time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like it, it's not like it's gone away. It's gotten yeah, it, worse. It's almost like, I really wish that I could just see everything that happened in those few days with the DeFeo thing, mm-hmm. everything that happened within those few days. And then like everything that just happened, I don't know. It's like, I'd like to see things while they were fresh because the other thing that's frustrating is like with the DeFeo thing is different people are look like the, what are they called? The, the guy who does the autopsies, uh, for coroner, coroner. Thank you. Medical examiner. Yes. He had to process six bodies and he had to do it as quickly as possible because it was a big fucking mass murder so he was so tired by the time he got to dawn that he had someone else do it and now we're not questioning necessarily the competency of the other person that did it but for the sake of consistency and he even said like i wish i could have examined her myself Mm -hmm. because then you know it's just you want to if you see things all with the same eye although the argument can also be made well maybe he would see something the other i wouldn't i don't know Right. It's like, you just want to see everything for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I want to see the right. autopsies. And you hear some people say, oh, well, Don had gunpowder residue on her nightgown. And then you have other people say, oh, well, it wasn't really from this. It was from that. You know, and you have the different interpretations. Right. I saw, I saw that specifically addressed and they had an independent um, ballistics expert look at that and say that that can happen when they're in close proximity to the weapon, meaning that he, she was shot, assuming, well, yeah. yeah, instead of the, the reason she has gunshot residue is because she was, she had done the shooting. So, well, you but know, then, I saw that too. Right. Well, then the thing is, I saw that and then I saw somebody say, well, I looked at the autopsy and they actually did show like, supposedly, a close up of the actual autopsy and the wordings like there was no, um, I think, what are they stippling around the wound? Right. So mm-hmm. there wasn't actually gunshot residue around the wound. So that means she wasn't shot in close proximity, that it was on her nightgown. It wasn't like it passed through her nightgown. That the, right, it was on her nightgown. Right. It was on her yeah. nightgown. So that means she shot the gun. So it's like you can hear two different people take that in two different ways. And, and it's hard experts. to know, right. And it's hard to know exactly who. And again, that's kind of where I wish I could just look at it myself to see you know, like which right. person is, because it can't be both. It can't be that right. she was shot close range and she wasn't shot close range. I don't know, like, I want to tend to believe the medical examiner, you know, and not some dude who just walked in, who might be an expert. Or I, podcast I people, because what do they know? Yeah, stupid podcast. No um, if we go on about the con- the criticism and controversy mm-hmm. about the yeah, home book, um, Father Pecorero, Pecorero, <clears throat> anyway, he submitted an affidavit during the lawsuit, or a lawsuit, that the only contact he had with the Lutzes was on the phone. Hmm. Other accounts say, say that he did go to the house, but nothing happened. 
So he's saying from his lips, I'm assuming, and that he just talked to him. None of that fly crap happened. None of that happened. Um, but then, but again, that's him affidavit wise. Other accounts say he did go to the house and nothing occurred. There was none of that fly stuff. And he was said to have been kind of uh, concerned and surprised when he that got back to him about being in the movie. I do want to say that Channel 5, they actually went to the house. And had a seance. And yeah, they went and they were analyzing. And the, they interviewed the main journalist guy, reporter, whatever. And he, um, he said, I, I wanted to believe this family because they seemed sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't want to think, you don't want to hope people are liars. You know, and he's like, we really were hoping that we would be able to prove something for them. But he's like, nothing happened. And the only yep. thing that was weird. Well, okay. So there were two things that were a little weird is that their cameraman had no kind of heart problems, but like before he went upstairs, he started having heart palpitations and his chest was hurting and he had never had that happen Mm -hmm. before, but then he was okay. And then there is that infamous picture where no kids were in the house and everybody said there were no kids in the house. So they're taking pictures around the house. And then, you know, the picture I'm talking about where um, you can see this little boy peeking out into the hallway from a door. You can see his head. Oh, I have to look that up. Yeah. So there's, there's one picture where it's, um, yeah, you can, it's clearly does look like a little boy and the eyes are like, you know, if you, um, like on cats, when you shine a light on them, how it has that reflective. So you see this little boy with reflective eyes and there were no kids in the house and nobody could explain that, but they did not seem to be very impressed with that. I mean, I guess comparatively to, you know, flies all over the place and, and all this other stuff that's supposed to have happened and you just see, you know, so channel five people felt like, yeah, so it is kind of creepy. I mean, it's not creepy terribly unless you know there weren't supposed to be. And they say it's John DeFeo, the little boy. Oh, um, yeah, I hadn't heard if they. Yeah, Amityville ghost boy photo. Oh, uh, so um, so that's the like Channel Five. But again, Channel Five was like, well, heart palpitations you can just write off as well. Maybe you know it was a freak heart thing. The little boy in the picture, I don't know who the fuck knows. But we are talking about the news. Well, the news, but also but you would they think that that the news would latch on to it. You know what I mean? Like if the news wanted to have make a story, it's a better story saying that it is haunted. Right. But they latched on to the opposite. So you can tell at least this Channel 5, they were not trying to just be sensationalistic. They were trying to get to the heart of it. And they're like, we're sorry, but we just don't see anything. Not, nothing li- like what you guys had said. But and, in the documentary, mm-hmm. they talk specifically about when it's um, like the family themselves and they talk about Channel 5's go- 5 going there. And mm-hmm. they talk about the heart palpitations, but they mentioned all this other stuff. And it's interesting to hear their version of it. Cause like, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. Mm-hmm. And it's funny mm-hmm. because when channel five themselves spoke, they're like, nothing really happened. So, you know, it's interesting to see the different viewpoints of, of what they, the different parties involved, how they interpreted the same fucking events. And the reporter that you're talking about that was there, he actually uh, wrote him and Ronald or Butch DeFeo and him wrote for years hmm. up until his death um, DeFeo oh, and I was looking at something yeah he he uh, had like samples of the writing and stuff and he looks and the writing looks crazy oh. but like in the same with talk about his consistently being inconsistent he always had a new story when he was writing him that he would say he was a demon and then he would say you know these other people did it and and change the change everything around all the time but yeah 
I thought that was interesting too, that the, that same guy had correspondence with Butch. Hmm. And knowing, and I would be, I would tend to think he's a little more trustworthy just because, like I said, is he could have made that sensationalized. He could have tried to embrace the stuff, but he didn't, you know? Yeah. So I would think if he's telling us that, then, you know, that's how he saw it as happening, you know? Right. But he also would have had to, had the approval to, to take that route because it was such a sensational story. It was such, oh yeah, um, it was such a gold mine of, mm-hmm. you know, of entertainment and people wanting to know more, even if they didn't really believe it, they wanted to hear about it. Sure. And, and, and really it's where, even if you're talking against it, you're still talking about it. Right. You know, so either way, even if you're not buying into it, you can still, you know, sell some shit or talk use about, it. Yeah. You can still use it. Exactly. Talking about the continuing with the controversies, the home claims about the Amityville home, the new owners, like I had mentioned, that moved in after the Lutzes said they did not see the physical effects reported by the Lutzes to the locks, oh, doors, right. and windows. The red room of the book was a small closet in the basement that was not hidden in any way. So in the movie, they made it look like, oh, look, you know, the spirits or whatever helped us find this. And it's this horrible place. And it's not, according to the to this reference. The Shinnecock tribe denied the house was you built on your site. Listen, I was trying to let that one go. I was so I'm proud that I had let that go. Um, <laughs> the Shinnecock tribe denied the house was built on a site where they once abandoned their mentally ill and dying. Mm. So they said, that's not true. You can't blame us. You know what mm. I mean? For, for that. It was said there was found uh, cloven hoof prints in the snow on January 1st of 76. Um, and was disputed by neighbors and researchers. So I don't know where their footprints would come from. You know, it's kind of funny you mentioned the the Indian tribe, the Native American tribe, because in one of the documentaries, of, of course, tons of different paranormal experts and people came to the house to give their mm-hmm. opinion. And there was one guy who insisted there were no ghosts in the house except one Native American gentleman and his horse, mm. as they were the only ones in the house was a specific you know and I'm like and and that it was um it it had been on Indian ground it had been on Native American ground I don't know that it was a burial ground but of course you have to have the one person that has to bring in the of course it was Native American and you're pissing off this Native American and right you know that trope um but yeah and he still it was just so funny how much he insisted it's just it's just this one guy he's he's just the only one doing it no one's listening to me yeah uh, police are shown as being involved in both the book and the movie, but there are no records of the Lutzes contacting them. Kind of going with yours, oh, well, we actually didn't end up taking him to the hospital. Mm. And moving to the book, did you want to t- say anything about the home before we move on to the book? No, I think we can kind of have a free fall at the end. And okay. if I need to bring up more, I can. And as far as the book and the controversy, there's a lot. Critics point out that the concurrent editions of the Jayans' book have changes to various details, i.e. the father's car model. Now, you kind of have to be an aficionado or, you know, mm. a nerd about the, to catch all that, but understanding that, you know, are they taking artistic license or whatever. In May 1977, the Lutzes filed a lawsuit against Rhonda Feo's attorney, and this is good, you're talking about before. Mm. A writer working on an account of the alleged haunting, two clairvoyants who examined the house, Good Housekeeping magazine itself, 
the New York Times and the overall Hearst Corporation claiming they used their names without consent, causing mental distress. All the claims ended up being dismissed amongst other issues um, like the fact DeFeo's attorney, William Weber, gave an interview in People Magazine saying they made up the storyline over several bottles of wine, which the judge at the trial found as very serious ethical question when lawyers become literary agents. Mm. For his part, George Lutz maintained the validity of the haunting, although saying some detail details had been exaggerated and even took a polygraph in 1979 and reportedly did not indicate deceit. Hmm. Although we all None know polygraphs are kind of... Right. Written, but, you know, yeah, and, it's interesting. And if he's, yeah, and there's that whole thing if he was kind of... Uh, I don't know... I don't want to say a psycho, but there are ways that you can. Sure. You know, it's the George Costanza. If you believe it's not a lie, if you believe it's the truth. No, now is yeah. the George Costanza rule. Yes. None of the subsequent owners of the Ocean Avenue home reported any unusual occurrences. You know, I already gave my two cents on that. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was funny was in Wikipedia, <laughs> Butch DeFeo is described, they described him as a film actor. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> Oh. I, don't, I don't know if that's because he was in documentaries, but huh. yeah, look it up. Wikipedia set, describes him as a film actor. Um, I do know his father, um, Big Ron, actually wrote a song that was a, a, a well-known song. And it's it was familiar. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Ah, shit. I meant I to write down what it was. Get my family. Yeah, that's exactly it. But it was like a love song because... Um, I like to his hit wife. my wife and children while I drive my car that I own. Yeah, that's not it, but you're close. Um, it was one of those things where his wife is about to leave him, so he wrote this, wrote this song. He, he wrote, wrote this song, and then um, it actually became like a pretty well-known song. So yeah, look that shit up, because I meant to write it down, and I forgot to. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting that he was actually... I'm looking that yeah. shit up that he was actually also a songwriter. While you do that, I'm gonna run and grab some more coffee, one second. The real thing. If you were talking, I can't hear you because I went to the kitchen. I was talking kind of myself or whoever okay. listening. Uh, did the DeFeo father write a song called The Real Thing? Called The Real Thing, which was performed by Joe Williams. That what happened to Big Ronnie and Louise had separated in the 60s. Okay. And Big Ronnie, in an attempt to profess his love and winter back, he wrote the song. Okay, so apparently uh, that is- uh... it's, called, it's from Joe Williams. So I think that was a, re a good recap of everything. We could have gone into different rabbit holes. There are a lot of different facets to this, obviously, but this comes to the big questions. What do you think about the crime? And what do you think about the haunting? Well, I do want to go through the crime a little bit because some of the big questions were that, well, the, the one big question was, number one, could one person control six people? Now, granted, they were all asleep, apparently. They were because they were all in bed, right? Well, not the well, according, not the mother, not um, Am Amber. They were all in bed, but they're saying they okay, were right. Awake. So they're all in bed. So they're all in bed, and then you hear because so the way the layout was is they said first he goes and shoots the mom and the dad. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as you fire a gun once, it's a um, what do you say a three fifty seven. A 37 Marlin, caliber Marlin. It's a Marlin. So it's yeah. a big ass gun that you would hear. So the first thing is, the question is, 
the first time the gun is fired, how could the other people in the house not hear it? You have the mom shot twice, the dad shot twice. Then the next he goes to the boys room and shoots the boys and he shoots the girl and then he goes upstairs and shoots Don if, if it's one person. So again, you hear gunfire. Why wouldn't you move? Now, there is an argument where I guess you can say, especially for the kids, they're scared. They just stay in bed and they're frozen in place. You know, maybe they don't understand what that means. They don't. The little girl, they do say that like pretty much everyone, girl especially, they had, she had her like, I think her pillow was like over her head and her arms were up. So I'm wondering if she was like gripping her pillow and putting, had it over her head and was face down like she was scared. Um, but they did say that it looked like she had looked to the side and could see the attacker. So it could be that maybe she was in bed, frightened, looked over, and then she was shot in the head. So this is the other interesting thing. The parents were shot in the back. The boys were shot in the back. Mm-hmm. The little girl was shot in the head and the sister was shot in the head. Mm-hmm. So those are very interesting things there. So, so you've got the parents that are killed. The others had to hear it. And either they were frozen. Now, one kid did have a, a broken leg. So that would explain why the kid maybe couldn't get out of bed. It's because he had a broken right. leg, it would be hard. So they don't move. And then Don's upstairs, maybe, I guess it's possible Don didn't hear this big, loud-ass gunshot. But that's one of the arguments, is could Butch have gone through this house and shot all these people in that... Devil's advocate. And I'm going to give you something that the devil, uh, Butch DeFeo, said himself. That is, I'm looking at an article from uh, November 18th of 1974, where Ronald Butch said that he reportedly told the police he administered heavy doses of barbiturates to his family the night they were killed. Because I started looking up the- But they weren't, there was no traces of drugs in their system. Well, that's what I was looking up. Yeah, because that's what, yeah, because that's what, that was one of the things he said, but I'm pretty sure that I heard the documentary that, in one of them, is that they said that there was no trace of, there was no kind of sleeping drugs in the family's food. I'm still looking. Uh, So um, that would be, that would be something as if he did drug them all, but I don't think that pans out. So that's where it leads to, he probably had an accomplice. So maybe while he is shooting people, the other person's keeping the other, you know, the others in bed and at bay. And also I was just, just before this, I was trying to get through that second part of the documentary mm-hmm. and this dude was saying, so apparently he looked at all the autopsy stuff that the whole family, except for Don had gone through rigor mortis by the time that they were having their autopsies done, but she was still in rigor mortis. And apparently rigor rigor mortis is like 24 to 36 hours. So he thought it was interesting if that is true, if she, because she was the last to die, but she would be, would have been the last to die by a considerable length. So then that leads to, if that's true, she might have gone and helped him shoot the family. And then Butchie turned on her and killed her. So that could be because see, and this is the other problem is, is people were like, as soon as I heard that um, the father was dead, they were like, yeah, Ronnie probably did that. Like, Ron, you know, it's not a question that he would kill his father, but I don't right, think he killed his mother. Right, because they had such a and he contentious relationship. Yeah, so that's the other thing is like, would he kill his siblings? And so this is again, like not knowing firsthand the family dynamic. Now he said that Don was jealous of Allison. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting. Allison was shot in the head and the boys were just shot in the back. 
Mm-hmm. So if Don truly was jealous of Allison, it would make sense that she'd be the one that would be shot in the head. And then it said, Ron Butch said that he got mad because he said he did kill his dad and mom, but mm-hmm. that Don killed the siblings and he got mad at her for killing the siblings. And so he killed her. Right. So that in a way, if all those factors are accurate, I could see that being a thing, but it is. It is interesting that Don was also found in bed shot. So it would, it would, he would have almost had to have, I I don't know, because again, I don't know who else in the family would have, and especially like, cause he said he went home, he shot them, he shot the parents, left, came back and he found the rest of the family dead. And that's when he shot Don. And then he was just like, okay, I'm freaked out. I don't know how to explain this to people. Everything's out of my control. I'm going to ditch this shit and go to work. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it's still, he still admitted to killing people, but then it's, I don't know. It's like, I can see the, because then you also have the thing where, where the bodies moved. And most of the things that I've heard and from the forensics people is, is it seemed like they were saying the bodies were not moved, that they were shot in bed. But then other people were saying, oh, well, they were obviously moved. So that's another thing that I was a little fuzzy on is if the bodies had been moved or not, because if the bodies had been moved, and that's why um, the minister of the Let's family, he apparently had lunch with the neighbor. The neighbor was really close to the Let's family. Right. So he had lunch with them. And he said that when he walked in the house after the murders, there were bloody handprints and there was, you could see signs of a struggle. But that's interesting because the cops were like, there was no struggle. There was no struggle anywhere. So it's interesting that a minister, which I mean, just because you're a minister doesn't mean you're be honest. So that's interesting that a minister would lie about that. Or it's mm-hmm. the neighbors could be lying about it. She could be, you know, who the fuck knows? Right. But they even had a picture in, in the little girl, girl's room where she had a, and they showed the picture. She had this puzzle that she was working on. And it was on this really big board that was precariously balanced on this little tiny dresser. And he's like, if there would have been a struggle, that puzzle would not have been, you know, that, that's like the first thing right. that would have fallen over if there was any kind of struggle. But, and again, I didn't hear anything about blood spatter or blood being in different places of the house. That, and, and especially in the dad's case, the bullet actually went through him. So we know that he, well, we know that he was definitely shot in bed because the bullet went through him and they found it under the bed. The other thing that's interesting is that supposedly the wa- mother had, since she was shot twice, that one of the bullets was had a little bit of a different size than the other. So, so, but ultimately it was just ruled that they, they could still could have come from the same gun. But there are people who think, well, no, that's probably from a, a handgun. And this Bobby guy had claimed, supposedly this Bobby guy that worked with them, he claimed that he was there or it was something like he called this guy up and said, meet me at the dealership. And he hands him this, this pistol, this handgun and says, melt this down. And so then it seems like Bobby might have been the one to kill the mom. And that, and in the reenactment, they showed um, Butch getting mad for shooting his mom. And I don't know. So there's all this, this thing about maybe there was a second gun that was different that might've been used by someone else. Back in 2012 or something, they found a gun in the canal around the house. And I can't remember what the outcome was of that. Well, they found uh, they that tried- actually um, right after the murder. He, he told them where to find it. 
it was that are you talking about the the big gun I don't I was just looking up something and from an article in 2012 and they had found a weapon and had a trigger and they were saying that that could determine another gun you know another gunman oh I don't know about that one looking at the crime scene photos they're I mean they're pulling stuff back I mean they're pulling back a piece of carpet and there's a little drop of blood there's not a lot of blood Mm-hmm. I mean, they're showing doors. They're showing, I mean, a lot on the bed, but there's not a lot of uh, blood spatter. And I mean, they're taking pictures of, they show pictures of everything, the walls, the, you know, the different rooms outside and everything. And there's, I mean, they show a little blood outside, um, but it's, it's not a gore fest, like, you know, like they were, like he was describing or yeah. you see in the movies about it. Well, and the blood outside could be explained that if he shot everybody and then he ran out of the house because he ditched his his clothes that he had been wearing. Yeah, that was the thing is, is, is he said, case. well, if you go, yeah, if you go around the street to this area, he had thrown it, the gun and their shell casings and his bloody clothes. So it's obvious. So we know that he did kill someone because they found bloody clothes. He knew where the weapons were. So we know that he did that. I think. I mean. No one fully knows the motivation behind someone when they kill people. Like there can be things that can be explained. There can be whatever. But just from everything I've seen and heard, I think it makes sense that maybe Don was involved, if I can believe that that stuff. Like I said, if she really was jealous of the sister, it's hard for me to believe. I don't know. I don't know if there's other stuff that goes more into his relationship with his siblings. But, it, well, you know what, here's the other thing, is that if they did plan on blaming the mafia, because that was one of his first, that was like his first story, right. is the argument is, is the thought was always, well, I could kill my parents and blame it on the mob, but they're, are they going to believe they'll just kill my parents and they won't kill my whole family? So then maybe it's just kill the whole family and then you can blame it on a mob hit. But then the other argument is, why wouldn't they kill you too? You're the one who said cocksucker, if that's what you're you know, why would you, why would they leave you alive? Mm-hmm. And he admitted that he was in the house at the time. Like at first he didn't, they were trying to pin down times. And at first he was like, well, I, I couldn't have been home. I would have heard that. And then later he says, oh yeah, I heard it. I heard two shots and then another right. shot and then another shot, but mm-hmm. I was scared. So I ran off, but I don't know. That just seems, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm leaning towards that. Maybe it was him and Don interesting no I hadn't heard about the uh Don thing the Don and the jealousy aspect of it I hadn't heard that before so that's interesting and hmm, so I'll have to look into that more but it seems I'm of two minds here if you're really fucked up on whatever all he was on Mm -hmm. he could have just gone into a frenzy done all this and given that there isn't a lot of gore very go in maybe he wasn't um you know in a frenzy as far as screaming yeah you know he just was oh, a yeah. singular mind walk up the stairs quietly shoot you know what i mean and again i understand what you're saying about the loudness of it neighbors reported they didn't hear gunshots a silencer kind of hits my mind where they they didn't find one or they thinking of ways he could have made one but um so that's of 
one part of my thinking. Mm-hmm. The other part is they, since they did find another weapon and there has been speculation about a second gunman or another person as an accomplice, it makes you wonder, you know, he was always at that bar. He was known, he was known as a low life. He hung around some low lives. Not that everybody that hangs out at a bar is a low life, not saying that, but maybe he had met someone, maybe in one of his stupors, they, you know, put something together and this happened. He doesn't necessarily remember it. Maybe he's protecting them, but he, maybe he really doesn't remember all mm. of it. And if he does have dissociative disorder, he could have, um, obviously bringing in this demonic stuff, he could have made all this up mm. and it, it is his reality and he doesn't right. remember all that. Mm. So, or maybe that's why, on- sorry, that's why one of the journalists he, that was interviewing him, he was like, could, do you think that some of these stories that you're coming up with are ways that you're trying to handle killing your family? Right. And maybe it's that, maybe it's just, you're trying to think of different things because maybe he legitimately, like you said, doesn't remember. Maybe he was, you know, fucked up at the time. And so he's just trying to think of different scenarios that could fill in those gaps for him. So maybe that's why he's coming up with different scenarios to even see what makes most sense to him. And he obviously is not the most mentally stable. And we all know that the amount of, you know, those hard psychedelic drugs like LSD, they can really mess with your mind. Mm -hmm. So it could have, it could have triggered something. And we don't know if he was medicated or I didn't ever look into or see anyone saying that he was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. And then he's been on medication since then. Well, if he has, it hasn't changed his personality because he still has the same thinking. As far as the house goes, I think that, um, I'm kind of a two minds of that too. I like to be open, like you were saying, and think, well, things do happen. Things can happen. But over the years, so much has come out about it being against it and about it being a money grab. And I'm not saying that George Lutz wasn't a Satanist. Hey, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that he, that that whole dynamic, again, family dynamics, that, that, could converge and come into play. I don't know all of that happened. I don't know, maybe it was an easy, like you said, an easy uh, escape or an easy out for them to say that when there was a really messed up, violent family at night that happened Mm. to the Lutzes. So I'm kind of of two minds on, I I don't tend to think that the haunting was that much. And really does doesn't do their credibility any good with this, you know, with everyone saying that yes, we did get together and drink, we did talk. Well, then, and there there is supposedly recording of it, so right. So so that's even. So even if there were um, poltergeist kind of phenomenon that was going on because of the emotions of the children and the, again, I keep using the word dynamic dynamics of the family of that tension and everything it doesn't mean that something didn't happen on a smaller scale although terrifying to anybody mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the blah the, the blahs the blahs were bleeding wow the, the blahs were weeding um you know so do I think artistic license on that yeah I do mm-hmm. and so do I think that DeFeo was possessed I think that dissociative disorder goes a long way for mm. me and being a survivor, survivor of the satanic panic of the eighties, 
I try not to give that too much. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of scarred many of us that had to go through that and maybe had some, you know, personal things that happened to them with family that were making them listen to bad, you know, records backwards and hearing the devil and seeing every, anyway, Mm. and then, you know, broke all their records and listened to country for, yes. And I'm not, that's not my personal story. I don't know where that came from, but of course I'm just saying, yeah, but I'm just saying that it's hard for me to go there when I know the psychiatry aspect of it is a real Mm -hmm. thing. And especially in his case, yeah with alcohol so I think the possession to me isn't valid now again if he was open and there were some things that happened I'm not saying on some smaller scale but was he what he was possessed with that night was a lot of drugs mental illness which is horrible horrible Mm -hmm. but not scary if it's dealt you know if it's taken care of yeah and you know it's interesting um it popped in my brain when you were talking about the um, phenomena, the supernatural things that were supposedly happening. One of the things that the family claimed is that the window in one room would open on its own and close. Mm -hmm. Well, this dude, and I think it was interesting because I believe he was a parapsychologist or paranormal researcher or whatever, but he was actually pretty cynical about it. So I guess he's one that he believes it, but he knows that it's only like in certain cases, you Mm -hmm. know, so he's more cynical. He said he went through the house and he went in this room and he noticed if he stepped on a certain certain board, it would um, like flex and the window did open. Huh. And then when he moved his foot, it closed. So I don't know if that's possible or not, but to me, that seems like it makes a little more sense than a ghost doing it or some mm-hmm. kind of poltergeist. Because again, I don't really, I'm cynical about believing any of that, any hauntings and supernatural activity. But there's a part of me that's like, well, hey, you know, let's keep an open mind because you never know. What's funny, though, is especially and, and I haven't recorded the episode yet, but I'm going it's going to be like my next one coming up is um, about her Baumeister. And I, I yes. referred to it when we were talking to the um, Jeff from the serial killers card game. Yes. Is that the people that feel that her Baumeister's house was haunted, mm-hmm. they they kept saying, I'm a cynic. I didn't believe like, I did not believe in any of that. I'm a science-minded person. Mm-hmm. But then they started to see things themselves and that convinced right. them that it happened. So I don't know because it's, you don't know how many people say that to make them some, some, sound valid, you know? Because as soon as you start saying, oh, my windows went up and down and there were a bunch of flies in the room, people automatically can think, okay, sure, you know? So if you want to give yourself credence, then you can say, oh, but, but also- I was I didn't believe it myself, but... But, you know, being a semi-believer, I'll say I'm a believer in that, right? But Mm. there have been a couple instances where I, my mind may have immediately gone to something supernatural, but in my gut, Mm. I knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And other, other times there is no other explanation of where they, of these proportions No, but little, you know, little Mm. things like, oh, it's maybe it's my dad trying to reach out to me. And then I realized, no, that's, pretty heavy and that probably just fell and you know but other times there there was no doubt that there was you know that contact or whatever well and I also understand that sometimes when you're in a situation it's kind of like relationships with people is my relationship with someone is based on my experience with that person and how our feelings to each other so maybe we have a connection 
that you wouldn't have with them or you don't have with them. Exactly. So you're looking at us like, what the hell or how, how are they, you know, and you may be cynical about the relationship and especially like an abusive type relationships or, you know, that type of thing is you may look at it like, what the hell? But there's there's something there that you don't get because you're not mm -hmm. in on it. And it doesn't mean that that's true or false. But so that that's another reason why I try to keep kind of open because maybe there are things that happen that legitimately don't seem to have a scientific reason right now. You know, mm -hmm. maybe years later we'll figure out. But right. But so I don't want to say like right out everybody's lying. And especially when I mean, some people like genuinely believe it. And and I think that's what the problem was with the Lutzes is that they seemed convincing to people, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that one reporter, she seemed kind of on the fence sometimes, which was interesting, but she was like, they really seemed distraught. Like I was there. They really seemed distraught. But again, the psychology is what if little things were happening? They were having, I mean, he was abusive. They were having mm -hmm. problems in their marriage. And the fact that they're all little kids, I think that's a big thing because if you have older kids, it would be, I think it would be harder to say, oh, the, there were flies in the room. But if you have younger kids, you can have them remember, oh yeah, I remember hitting the flies and going down to tell my mom proudly that I killed all these flies and then going back up and the flies weren't there. Right. You know, so it's easier to, you know, control in some ways. I mean, that's, that's another thing that I was kind of caught up on is as you have three little kids with the Lutzes, how are you going to, how easy would it be to, to lie? But it could be, again, there were stressful things happening, maybe some, a few weird things happened, but everything was amped up. And then maybe they saw a way to, I don't know, maybe things just got out of their control. And, and then once you've started down that path, if you don't want to look like a complete fucking lunatic or asshole, you're mm -hmm. going to commit to it. And unfortunately they probably fucked up their children's lives. If that's the case, because obviously yeah. this guy's fucked up. You know, and I mean, he said that even people like will call him because he's been called, I guess, in different movies and documentaries, he's been mm -hmm. called by different names. So sometimes people will see him and be like, oh, that's, you know, what's his face? And he's like, no, I mean, that was me, but my name's Danny. My name's Daniel. So right. it's like, it kind of fucks with him. Like, who is he? He's like, I'm not, I am that guy, but I'm not that guy. I'm the, I was a little kid. You yeah. Know? Like it's, so it's, yeah. And it's fascinating to see how he was affected by it. And the things that he supposedly remembers. And I did, I did ultimately, as soon as he started recalling memories is I thought of the satanic panic mm -hmm. where all of these kids were coming forward. Like, oh, they had black masses and they did this. And it comes out that they're like, no, I don't really, I guess I don't really remember that. And they, it's we're fucking frightening, mm -hmm. fucking frightening that you yeah. can mess with someone's mind that much that they can be convinced it happened. And then, you know, it's um, so, yeah. So what, what did you, so what do you ultimately, do you have an ultimate opinion on the DeFeo thing on whether Ronnie did it by himself or like I said, you say I, you said it was, I'm kind of on the fence. Cause I could, I can see it. I'd like to look into it more or find out more what they've have on this second weapon. And uh, it's just interesting that it pops up every once in a while, but there's new mm. evidence and you don't hear anything about it. Oh yeah. I saw a lot of articles, new evidence, and it was a whole lot of nothing. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm open to there being a second person. I don't know if it's Don or not. I think it's very interesting that you brought that up about her jealousy. So I, I'll look into that. Um, but, oh shit. Um, I have, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just remembered. Did you know Butch DeFeo had a wife? Oh yeah. She wrote a book. Okay. So my thing was, 
is I don't recall, again, I didn't do like deep research, but just in just the little bits and pieces that popped up. And in um, some of these documentaries, they don't mention shit about shit. Like they just say, um, he did this yep. and he did that. He killed the family. He And they make it sound like he was on his own, that he wasn't. So they that's focus one thing. on that since Yeah. Yeah. And they don't talk about, oh, well, he had a wife at the time. He had a baby. And, you know, so when um, I started watching that three-part documentary, My Shattered Hopes or whatever, is then they're like, oh, yeah, he had a wife. Like, because, and it's the guy who wrote the, I think it's the night that DeFeo's died, that guy. Mm-hmm. Is he's doing research. And then also this woman calls and says, yeah, I'm Gerald D- Dean DeFeo. I was married to Butch. And he's like, no, what? No. Because at that point, I guess no one had really talked about her. And then right. so she, heavily through this whole thing where she was just like, how demanding the father was the father, even after they were married made Butch live at home most of the time. And sometimes he was allowed to go live with his wife. And he was supposedly talking about going straight and well, going straight about joining, like getting a job with the USPS Mm -hmm. because they had a baby at this point. And the the dad apparently had been talking about taking the whole family to Canada. So he was like, I'm going to break my bonds with my family. And supposedly Don was also talking about leaving at this time. And she's according to Geraldine, two days later, they're all dead, except for Ron. So I I saw some stuff I didn't, I don't remember as much about that. I just knew that I was like, oh, he had a wife. Yeah. And people just kind of pushed that yeah. like under the rug. And because you think that her point of view would be interesting. But they, I guess she <laughs> even was, um, she even was interviewed or uh, depo- deposed. And she, you know, mentioned a lot of things. And I guess they found that not to be credible mm. or, but yeah, it was really swept under the rug. And yeah, yeah I so thought I'm was... not sure about how much though that I believe her because yeah, because and, and again, it's that whole like with her and stuff, they really go into the mafia thing. And so she's got a lot of stories about the mafia and you know, that whole so it is hard to see if she's credible or not. I would just thought it was interesting that usually, I mean, I know a lot of times they focus on serial killers and they focus on the person who perpetrated the crime, but usually mm-hmm. you hear something. About the so spouse. usually clamoring to find some if he had yeah. a wife. So it must had a wife. be. What does she say? So yeah, it yes. is interesting. That so it's she, weird I that she was maybe just she buried. fled with the kid at first, and then she came back. Mm, I, I, I don't remember. remember. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I thought that was. And and again, I'm gonna go through and watch. I'm gonna finish watching the documentary because it is it is interesting to see the different points of view and and to hear. But it's definitely like the deeper you go, you're just like, oh my God, like rabbit holes. Like you said, it's Jesus Christ. It's hard to figure out what's bullshit, what's not. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm kind of open to the more that I talk about if Ronald Butch could have done this by himself. I think in this specific circumstance, it's possible just because they were little, there were younger kids involved. Mm-hmm. I think if you had adults and they heard a gunshot, it might be more likely that they would jump up and try to do something. But you have kids, especially one with a broken leg, you know, yeah. is is that maybe they're not, as, you know, a little girl, or I mean, a little boy, anybody, is they may hear that noise and and be just terrified and not and, and not want to face what it is. He could have walked in, they see big brother Ron. Oh yeah, he's not going to do anything. Right, well, what's he going to do? He's like, hey, look, it's fine, I got you. And you know what I mean? He just. And I can see now that you mentioned, because if he really was on heroin and I would, I mean, his be- they interviewed his best friend and his best friend was like, oh yeah, he was fucked up. Like, I love the guy. Yeah. He's still my friend. And he was okay when he was sober. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get him on drugs or alcohol, then you never fucking know. 
So I could see where maybe in some kind of with a mental disease and then with drugs and how maybe he would just go through because there is sometimes the justification of I'm doing a favor. So if I'm going to kill my parents, I'm just going to kill the whole family and do everyone a favor, you know, because this family's fucked up, you know, and and again, if if you're if you're mentally have a problem, but you can justify things in weird ways that nobody understands and maybe you wouldn't understand later. So and maybe that family what, annihilator kind of justification, like exactly. you were mentioning. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yes, the family annihilator thing. So I can, I if it would have been any anyone older than the kids' ages, I think it would have been harder for one person to control it. But if you have an older figure that they trust, and Don was upstairs, so maybe Don didn't hear anything, or maybe she heard and she was just kind of like, "What the fuck?" And mm-hmm. you know, who who knows? Um, Don would be the one that I would be surprised wouldn't come down and see what's going on. But there could be a couple different reasons. But so I kind of think that maybe he could have done it by himself. And then now he's just making up all kinds of stories to try to justify it or live with it. And then the house haunting, I'm, I'm cynical. Again, I think that maybe if there were some things, I think that they got all blown up out of proportion. And I don't know, short of spending a lot of time trying to look through things myself. I don't know that I have the energy to do all that, but it is, yeah. it is intriguing you know, and like the tool bullet theory, you know, it's, and again, it's just so fucking frustrating to hear two people's opinions on the same evidence, completely contrasting. It's really frustrating. So, and and maybe it's a thing where we need to, as with anything, check a bunch of different places and see what a bunch of different people say about that. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll find the truth if 10 out of 30 people that are experts say, oh, she definitely did have residue in her nightgown. So that means she shot someone. Then that's more compelling than, um, you know, a 50-50 <laughs> comparison, you know, I don't know. So it's definitely well, interesting. And I was actually looking forward to talking about this with you. And I was excited that I actually watched some uh, documentaries, which I haven't done for a while. And, uh, yeah, and uh, doing my um, last minute, you know, checking into stuff before we started, I was they um, were talking a lot about the second poltergeist, which I did well, not poltergeist, Amityville. Hi, what are we talking about? Yeah. And they, they it like reenacts and talks about the, the possession of, mm-hmm. you know, Ron DeFeo. So I may mm-hmm. see that just because it has that 80s, you know, cheesy goodness. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. And also it, it's been it kind of plays out what they think happened. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's been- watch that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, I was thinking about that the other day that I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the Amityvilles because I think I've seen most of them and uh, I almost went back and watched them, but I'm trying to resist compulsive urges as much as, well, not as much as I can, but I'm trying yeah. to control them better now. I think Amityville 4 is one I started to watch and I was like, this is too stupid because I'm pretty sure it's got like a haunted lamp in it. So they're really fucking reaching by Amityville 4. So yeah, well, that's usually what <laughs> I happens. Mean, that's what happens. Look at you know Jason and Freddie in space or some shit. You know what I mean? But yet now you leave Freddie alone. Enjoy but Jason it. In space. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I may just end up going through and rewatching the Amityville movies again, and especially the second one because I had forgotten that they go through the DeFeo thing let's, more. After this, let's go watch the second one and then text about it. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll uh. I might still, like I said, I think I'll watch those documentaries. Maybe, maybe as we move forward, as we learn more stuff, maybe we'll mention it here and there. And, you know, if you have opinions, go to murderlabmedia.com or go to our Facebook, go to crime. You can go to crime keeper. You can go to crime keeper. You can go to the murder lab Facebook and, 
tell us what you think about the things. Yeah, we're excited. Look at the new logos too. We yeah, got new logo I need action. to, um, yeah, that's one of my goals this week is to get the new logos up on the Murder Lab site and Facebook page. I know Igor's been good about, she loaded her um, new Crime Keeper logo. And uh, so we'll do a shout out to the graphic artists um, and all that. So look forward to that to come. Yeah, that's all I got. What about you? That's all I got. All right. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats. Okay, I have to use the restroom and I love you.